This is Dating Ourselves, the podcast that talks everything 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined tonight by my co-hosts, Brian and Paul. Hello. Howdy. Well, it's time to crack a can of episode Dirty 30. Can you guys believe we've actually done this 30 times? It feels like a lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) And yet... It feels like the first time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's been way more than 30, though, hasn't it? Because we've had specials, like our recent Halloween special. That's true. That's true. And we've had interviews, um, and we've had um, you guys' little... Outer views. Road trip. Yeah, outer views. (laughs) From the outer (laughs) limits. Um, Countdowns. Yeah, you guys had your little road trip adventure that you walked everyone through. and. Yeah, I guess we've done quite a bit, but still, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Anyway, what a, couldn't what a long, strange adventure it's been. <laughs> yes, and thank you all who are still around listening to this. Um, <laughs> we couldn't do this without you. Uh, I guess we could, but it would be way less fun. And uh, you guys have really provided some great ideas and some great support for the show, so it's really been appreciated. Um, and it's nice to see that there are some people like us that live for those days gone by anyway <laughs> to be fair even if people weren't listening i think we would still talk <laughs> this is oh, true yeah. this is true it just wouldn't be in an audio recorded format <laughs> you never know but our loyal audience is what makes it worth it absolutely That's absolutely right. thank you guys <laughs> if you missed last week's episode shame shame on you you should really check it out when the gang and i talked about the rugrats Nickelodeon's finest. That's right. You can find that in all our past episodes at www.datingourselvespodcast.com, on iTunes, Google Music, and wherever you find your podcasts. I find mine under the pillow. Why aren't you guys laughing? What else is under your pillow? <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> uh, my teeth, actually. <laughs> 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 no, no, definitely not. So we really appreciate our listener support, and we'd like to share some of the kind words left by one of those listeners on iTunes about our show. If you'd like to leave us a five-star review on iTunes, we would definitely love to read it on air as a way to say thank you. still looking for some new reviews to share uh get your friends hooked on the show feel free to drop us a message please leave us five star reviews on itunes they can be ironic or well-intentioned as long as they're five stars we'll read them on air that's right (laughs) let's get this party started this week i'm going to be leading a discussion on two great michigan sports teams the fab five and the russian five a topic submitted by jake s of detroit michigan Well, thank you, Jake. This should be a really fun topic to discuss. Although, being a Michigan State alum, the the Fab Five is a little bit more challenging for me to to discuss than than it might be for the two of you. But um, they uh, definitely were incredible, and I'm definitely looking forward to discussing that. But mostly, I'm looking forward to discuss the the Russian Five, the, uh, the Wizards of Av, as they like to be called. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. All right, so let's go ahead and get into our topic. 
Yeah. Uh, before we do, just want to remind everybody that we're going to be picking next week's topic at the end of the episode, so you'll want to stick around for that. It's going to be Nostalgia Combat. Nostalgia Combat! That's right. It's going to be me with Water Parks and Paul with the Disney classic Dumbo, um, which was re-released during our time period. So, you know, all those fact checkers out there, it, it kind <laughs> of it's kind of a loophole that we're going to exploit. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, we will also visit our old friend, the Hopper of Imagination. All right. Get All down. Right. Get in the hopper. <laughs> I was going to say, everyone's quiet it's on Adam. Like everyone's quiet on me. Weird. It's fine. It's whatever. We will visit our old friend, the Hopper of Imagination, to get another topic for Adam. So, Adam, tell us about some Michigan-based sporty sporting sports. That aren't the Lions or the Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> Although, well, if you give Adam a couple of drinks, he'll tell you about his Pistons. <laughs> <laughs> he has Piston beer bottles. Sometimes people don't even notice. <laughs> if you don't get the reference, you need to check out Bob and Tom. <laughs> so, anyway, so our topic this week is a little different because it's about sports teams, but... The way the the topic was phrased or was presented to us was the Russian Five versus the Fab Five. So I feel like the request then is to see who is the better team between the Russian Five and the Fab Five. So this is going to be a little bit different on the formatting. What I think we're going to have to do is first start off by even talking about who is the Russian Five, and who is the Fab Five. And then after that, I feel like that would be a good time for us to kind of discuss any memories, any thoughts, any uh, like big discussion points on these two teams there. After that, we then need to talk about, you know, what defines, you know, a good team or a great team. And then from there, I have a stupid long list of stats that we can look at or uh, whatever 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 we happen to define as a great team and we can use that to then kind of sum up our idea about who is the better team between the russian five and the fab five so does that sound amiable to everyone does that sound agreeable to everyone this sounds like deadliest warrior (laughs) <laughs> Remember that show where they I do, do the that was a great simulation show. between the two groups that didn't exist at the same time to see who would win in combat. <laughs> see, for me, it sounds more like that Saturday Night Live skit with the Chicago Bears fans of who would win the in a Bears. fight. Who <laughs> would win in a fight? Ah, <laughs> oh, gotta be Dicka. <laughs> That's right. All right, so I think we need to start out, like I said. Uh, just start out by talking about who even is the Russian Five and the Fab Five. So any Michigan sports fan, and I'm not talking about just the University of Michigan, I'm talking about like Michigan sports teams in general, uh, should know who the Russian Five and the Fab Five are. But in case you don't, the Fab Five was a college basketball team that played for the University of Michigan between 1991 and 1993. Now, this team was made up of uh, some of the best high school recruits of all time, including 
Chris Weber, Jalen Rose, Jawan Howard, Jimmy King, and Ray Jackson. And I've heard of one of those. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that should tell you guys right there how if, impressive if Paul's this heard team of somebody was. on your team. They got to be pretty good. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so uh, that was the Fab Five. Uh, they were one of the more dominant teams in college sports for uh, the two seasons that they were together. And we'll kind of talk about why their time was limited uh, together in a little bit. But that was the Fab Five. Uh, now, and there is the... also a Fab Five that's on Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Um, Not and, the same And group. they go and make people up and make them feel better about themselves. And you know, I'm much more familiar with that <laughs> Fab Five. <laughs> Uh, I was going to make that joke at some point. I'm glad that you beat me to it. (laughs) Anytime. But yes, it was the basketball team for the University of Michigan. And then the Russian Five was a team made up of Russian players, believe it or not, from, uh, that played from Russia. For the, from Russia, yeah, they were real Russians, made with 100 percent real Russia. Oh my god! I know, right? Their all of their families were actually uh, their parents were unicycling bears. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> so anyway, the Russian Five was a group of players that came to Detroit and played hockey for the Detroit Red Wings between the 94 season and about the 1997 and 1998 approximately season. Um, Now, this team was made up of some pretty impressive players, including Sergei Fedorov, uh, Vyacheslav Kozlov, Vladimir Konstantinov, Vyacheslav Fetisov, and Igor Larionov. And I apologize if I screwed up any of those names. Obviously, I do not know Russian very well. So, um, considering I've those heard of two Russian. of those people. <laughs> oh my God. I think that answers our question right off the bat. If Paul's heard of two. <laughs> That's the litmus test is how many has Paul heard of? <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't even have to do the rest of the episode, guys. Let's go home. <laughs> uh, so. They were a, uh, as I mentioned, a team that played for the uh, Detroit Red Wings, and they were unique in that they really kind of focused on uh, not only a different style of play than what the NHL was used to at the time, but it was also the first time that a defensive line and a offensive line were paired together. Uh, if you don't follow hockey, generally you have players that are grouped together in what are called lines. Right. And the the lines substitute out because hockey is a fast-paced game. You go pretty quick. It's uh, pretty tiring. So you're constantly changing out either offensive or defensive lines. Before that, it was common to have your three offensive players or your two defensive players in lines together and you just switch them based on your needs and stuff like that. But the Detroit Red Wings with the Russian Five adopted the model that was common with Russian hockey at the time, which was to pair an offensive and defensive line. So you had five players that were always playing together. And uh, it really made a big difference with the team. And uh, they also, and we'll get more into it in a minute, but they also uh, really kind of brought in a completely different style of play along with that new style of the, you know, putting lines together and stuff like that. So 
Can um, I ask a question? Yeah, yeah, shoot. Uh, from a world perspective at this point, who was the leader in producing hockey players? Was the U.S. ahead or was Russia ahead? So this would have been I, after Russia. the big, what was it, 1980 Miracle on Ice game. And in fact, some right. of these Russian players actually played in that game against the United States. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's still very much that great hockey players were coming from Russia. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's even still true to this day. Yep. Um, but you know, that's, uh, that's the answer to your question. I don't know. I don't know how to tidy, uh, tidy it up with a bow, but, um, yeah. yeah. So, so as Brian was alluding to, uh, this would have been like right at the time when Russian hockey was still really big. Um, and the, the hockey players were used to coming over here, but they had to kind of adapt to the American style of play uh, versus the Russian style of play. And like I said, in a minute, we'll kind of get more into the specifics on on that and what that looked like compared to how American hockey looked like at the time. Yeah. Uh, so to start off with, do you guys want to talk about the uh, Russian five first or the Fab Five first? Do you have a preference? I would say Fab Five because they're the group I know the least about. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think that that Sounds works for me. So, I mean, I guess the, okay. the big thing with the Fab Five is in, I guess it was the recruiting class of 1990 or 91, I guess, right? Was the net recruiting class. Right. Um, yep. I mean, that was considered at the time and up until like very recently, like maybe within the last five or 10 years was the mm-hmm. best recruiting class that had ever been assembled ever. There. They're still tied for the first, uh, but the no one had touched them until very recently, like you said. And I can't remember what school it was um, that that I think it was uh, Kentucky. Old... I'm trying to remember what year it was, though. I think you're right. I think it was um, maybe like 2013, yeah. something like that. Um, but the the kind of the the barometer for that when we talk about like one of the best recruiting classes uh, ever, um, the, kind of the litmus for that is uh, how many McDonald's All Americans you get. McDonald's All Americans being like the best high school players in the country, and generally a team might be lucky to get one, maybe two, uh, t- you know, pl- uh, all all stars on their team. The Michigan Fab Five had four McDonald's All-American players on their team. That was, like, unheard of at that time, and it's still very rare. Like I said, uh, and like Brian said, you know, this was in 91 that this recruiting class came in. It didn't get matched again until, like, 2013, so it was almost two decades later before another team was able to put up a team like that. Right, and even to this day, I was reading that, the you know of all the documentaries that ESPN has ever put together, the Fab Five documentary is still their number one most popular um, mm-hmm. of all time, and I think it says a lot about kind of how these players really transformed the game. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked a little bit about Michael Jordan and how he used to you know when we did our Dream Team episode, he used to wear you know the longer basketball shorts, and that was something that was really carried on as well with the Fab Five. It was I guess about the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And they were known for all of them had their heads shaved. It was five freshmen with shaved heads, and they would wear black athletic shoes, 
black athletic socks and the big shorts. And that was something that no one had ever really seen before. Uh, Mm -hmm. And similar to the Russian five that we'll get to in a moment, they were pretty rowdy. Mm -hmm. Like the way they played was some would consider dirty. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of chippy, cheap shot type of stuff. But a lot of it was just because they were so confident in what they were doing. And, um, you know, if you don't like it, try and stop us was kind of the attitude. Right. So it was more of an attitude than, let's say, uh, like fighting and hockey. It was more of just a, a an well, arrogant type attitude, yeah. for lack of a better word. Right. Well, well, we'll get to that in a moment because there's a specific brawl that happened while the Russian Five was still a team that I want to discuss in much greater yep. detail once we get there. But yep. um, <laughs> um, but yes, to, to your point, but, it is very much more of like uh, almost like a showboating kind of like we know we're good. Um, you know, a lot of street ball type of alley-oops and passes behind mm-hmm. the back and stuff. Stuff that you saw like the Harlem Globetrotters do because they were a scripted team. You didn't see like real college basketball teams doing this until until then, really. Right. The Globetrotters right. aren't real? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're about as real as professional wrestling. So t- t- take that however you want. <laughs> it's still a great athletic feat either way, right? So <laughs> You just... So- Killed Santa Claus for me. <laughs> Played by Kurt Russell? <laughs> so, I'm excited for that movie. So the uh, Fab Five, uh, you know, like we said, they were the recruiting class of like 90, 91. They started in the 91, 92 season. Uh, but surprisingly, they were not put together right away. Like, it's not like game one, they came out and... They were all playing together. Uh, they, because remember, all of these guys were freshmen. They were all incoming freshmen to the team. So they, they come in and the team starts off and they like bring all of them in. Like all of them saw action in the first game of the season, but it wasn't like all of them started right away. And then over the span of the next couple months, they eventually would all start playing together on a pretty regular basis, but again, not all uh, starting together. Right. And so it actually took until February. So mind you, the college basketball season starts in probably like November-ish. Uh, yeah. So it took them from November to approximately February for all five of them to start. And the first game that they ever played together as regular starters was against Notre Dame. And uh, from there, it basically was history. You know, history was made because after that, they started every game together and uh, became one of the more dominant teams in college basketball during that time period. So how do you feel, Adam, knowing that they started to kind of create that bond and that like unstoppable force against your team? Eh. I mean, let, let's be honest. I was five years old when this happened. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't have really any emotional attachment <laughs> to any of that. Uh, it, at that pro- point, I probably didn't even realize that Notre Dame had a basketball team. I mean, at that point, I was a Notre Dame football fan. But fair probably, enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So they started to play together. And their first year together, they posted a 25-9 and record. Wow. And 
went pretty deep into the uh, college basketball playoffs that year. They made it all the way to the final game and lost to Duke yeah. in the final game. And I probably could be wrong. I can't remember off the top of my head because I forgot to look this up, but that might have been the Christian Leitner shot. That I, it, it wasn't. That wasn't in the championship game. I'm trying to remember who that was against. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, it, that definitely wasn't that game, though. Um, oh, okay. It was like okay. it was like in the Elite Eight or the Final Four. It was definitely before the championship. Oh, okay, okay. I'm trying to look but, this up uh, really quick, and it keeps sa- pulling same up. Queer t- eye same for the tournament, guy. same year, just different game. <laughs> right. Yeah, I knew that didn't sound right in my head, but I knew that it happened around that time. Uh, but yeah, so that's the that is the playoffs where Duke ended up winning that championship. And then the 92-93 season, all five of the starters came back. And uh, again, they posted up a 31-5 and record that year. Uh, and again, they came runner-up in the national championship game, this time losing to North Carolina by like seven points or something like that in the final game. Um, and that one... Yeah, it's 77-71, yeah. Yeah, yep, so six points. They they only lost by six points to, to UNC, which is, I mean, one of the best teams ever. I mean, same with Duke. I mean, the, both teams are, like, historically two of the best college basketball teams that have ever existed. Um, so yeah. to have gotten to, you know, as basically a freshman team and a sophomore team to get to the championship game two years in a row, especially that yeah. second year and only losing by a handful of points – is pretty you know, miraculous. You know, they lost to North Carolina by six points in the 92-93 season. Do you guys remember what big event happened that caused them to lose the national championship that year? I do. Um, it was Chris Weber calling a timeout when they had no timeouts left. Mm-hmm. So uh, very late into the game, like with... Like, not much. I can't remember the exact time, but there wasn't much time left on the clock. And Michigan gets possession of the ball back. As he's kind of falling out of bounds, Chris Weber calls a timeout. Well, Michigan doesn't have any timeouts left. Doesn't seem like a big deal, though. Except for the fact that in basketball, if you call a timeout that you do not have, that's considered a technical foul, which means that the other team gets to shoot several three uh, I think two free throws and then they also get possession of the ball back which in that tight of a game basically meant the end of the uh, game for him because at that point uh, North Carolina was able to pull away just enough to secure their win for the 93 national championship that's just so crazy what a mm-hmm. I didn't know that was a rule yep that's actually a rule in college football as well. Uh, it's just, you know, not you don't see it come up very often because most of the time uh, teams know how, you know, how many timeouts are left and stuff. But, yeah, it is a rule that if you call a, uh, te- if you call a timeout and you do not have it, that is a technical foul. In fact, in, uh, I think it was in college football just recently that that rule came up again because a coach called a timeout to, uh, that he didn't have and he walked up to the ref and said, "Look, I know this is going to be a tech uh, like a penalty, and you're going to call it. 
but I'm taking a uh, timeout that we don't have because I'm going out onto the field to tell my kids I'm retiring after this game. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, right? Right? I mean, I mean that, that's, that's better pretty... than the than the Bills, and you have someone just, you know, retire at halftime, so. <laughs> <laughs> True story. That actually happened this season. If you don't follow sports, one of their defensive stars retired in the middle of a game <laughs> at halftime. <laughs> Only only uh, the Bills, man. Crazy I stuff. I was going to say, you know you're having a bad season when someone just is like, you know what? I don't really need to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear that mic drop in Alaska. Yeah. yeah no oh, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. So, anyway, uh, so the national championship in 92-93 ends up going to North Carolina. And after that season, the Fab Five were no more as Chris Webber became the first to declare for the NBA draft. Uh, and kind of a, actually an interesting story. I didn't realize this until I was doing the research for this episode. But Chris Webber was drafted by the Orlando Magic. Yes. But in that same night, he was traded from the Orlando Magic for, to for the... For Penny Hardaway, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was traded to the Golden State Warriors for the guy who would end up becoming one of the most famous or like one of the or uh, main Orlando Magic players, which was Anthony Penny Hardaway. Uh, not good old number one that played for them for uh, pretty much all of the 90s, basically. Well, going back to the Pistons comment, you do know a lot about number one, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So... Besides the controversy with the uh, blown, you know, the the phantom timeout basically at the end of the game, do you guys know much about the other controversy that the Fab Five ran into? I do not. I okay. do, but it was definitely it was years after the fact that it came to light. Correct. Right. Right. So this ended up becoming a huge huge controversy in uh the you know the history of University of Michigan and really kind of hurt their legacy and that was majorly that because like, pl- yeah cuz all their uh like banners and stuff from all their like you know mm-hmm. accolades and things like that have all been removed and i right. think most of their statistics have been re- removed from all of the university documentation like they mm-hmm. essentially don't exist anymore right right Oof. Uh, so what happened, uh, as college players in any college sport, uh, one of the big things is they are amateur athletes and as such are not allowed to be paid at all. And payments can be, it's a very, very weird definition of that because there's a lot of things that could constitute a payment. And so like even something like signing an autograph uh, or like selling autographed uh, memorabilia or whatever would technically be in violation of their amateur standing. And so what happened is that it was later discovered that uh, quite a few of the players from the team, including Chris Weber and Jalen Rose, had accepted over $600,000 in loans and gifts and stuff like that from a guy named Ed Martin. And right, right. it it violated that amateur status of theirs, and as such, that 
meant that any games that they played after they had been paid any money was no longer on the record books. Like, they vacated those wins because technically they weren't amateurs anymore. They were technically, by a legal standing, professional athletes because they were making money off of the sport. And so, you know, earlier I mentioned that uh, in the 91 to 92 season, they uh, were 25 and 9, but their adjusted record was actually 24 and 8, which isn't that bad. I mean, really, it was the difference of one win and one loss uh, that that got moved. The 92-93 season, though, is where that really hurt them because their unadjusted um, record was 31-5. and five. Completely dominant season, one of the best in like college sports. Their adjusted record, though, the official record for the University of Michigan, the last season that the Fab Five was there, is 0-4. They did not win league or, uh, in in the history books in the annals of basketball in the ninety two to ninety three season. The University of Michigan Fab Five did not win a game. Yeah, wow, it's, it's crazy, just absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. And so, you can see that as well. Like if you go and look at like the brackets and things like that. They're either like completely wiped from it or there's like an asterisk next to their name. Like, for example, on Wikipedia, any place where you see the University of Michigan, there'll be an asterisk. And it'll say Michigan's entire 92-93 schedule results were vacated on uh, November 7th of 2002 as part of a settlement of the University of Michigan basketball scandal. Unlike forfeiture, a vacated game does not result in the other school being credited with a win, only that Michigan doesn't get the win, essentially. Right. So essentially nobody won the game if they won, mm-hmm. um, which is crazy. Right. Yeah, that's saying the guys of this competition, this is hurting their stats for me. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, all right. So that's the Fab Five. Uh, that's kind of the big things with uh, the Fab Five. So let's go ahead and jump over then to the Russian Five. Uh, so as we mentioned, again, the Russian Five started in about the 94-95 season and uh, constituted a line of Russian players that came over to play for the Detroit Red Wings. So do you guys have any memories about the Russian Five, uh, watching them play, anything like that? I do. I remember the Avalanche game. Yes. Okay. So that was like one of the biggest rivalries, in my opinion, like ever in sports like it got so ugly i think Mm -hmm. the only rivalry that might even come close other than like the olympics and crips yeah right (laughs) no (laughs) no it was uh the niners and the cowboys back in like the 80s and 90s um yeah i mean because like you have like rivalries like the the red Sox and the yankees but that's not like a this was like hatred like that's more of like a you know, we've always I, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I'd argue the Pistons and the Bulls from the, the Isaiah Thomas era and stuff like that. I'd say that was pretty close. I would also venture to say the um, Lakers and Celtics from the '80s when Magic Johnson and Larry Bird played. Man, they they used to get into some violent games. Remember, That's true. Uh, I was actually just watching a documentary recently. Um, there's a, if you guys like basketball at all, there's an amazing documentary that's been running on, uh, 
ESPN lately called Basketball a Love Story. And I was just recently watching an episode where they were talking about that. And there was a game in the national championship game or the, the uh, I guess, the championship game. Uh, the first time that the Lakers and the Celtics faced each other in the like in that era with Bird and all those guys, there was a point where one of the guys from the Lakers was going up for a layup and he literally like got clotheslined in his face to and, like a huge brawl broke out after that. I mean, they were, they were Jeez. violent games. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't uncommon for someone to leave like, you know, with blood on their Jersey in these games. But going back to the, uh, Russian five for a moment. Um, in March of 1997, March 26th of 1997 specifically, um, was a massive, what they called the brawl in hockey town. Um, and I think that might be what Paul may be referring to at the Joe Lewis arena in Detroit, Michigan against the Colorado avalanche. There had been a hit, I guess about a year or so prior. Um, what's his name? Uh, from, from Colorado, I want to say it's Lafou, but that's the guy from <laughs> from Beauty and the Beast. Um, uh, some some Lemieux? French, yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, yes, yeah, I say some French Canadian name. Yeah, Lemieux. Uh, he uh, decked Draper like just crazy. Like it was a nasty, nasty hit. He never apologized for it. It created this huge feud. The point is, is that it was. Like over a year of just just boiling hatred that kind of all came in. It got crazy. Like goalies started fighting. Like literally everybody was on the ice. There was Mm -hmm. blood everywhere. There's a really famous piece of video where you see one of the refs taking the side of his skate to scrape blood off the ice. Um, Yeah, I mean it's it was absolutely insane. I I think that's the first time I've ever seen goalies go at it like i and it wasn't like they just were like scrapping with other people and then all of a sudden they like you know started fighting each other they literally like skated full till out to center ice and just started beating each other mercilessly and the amount of balance because i don't remember either of them falling over and they're wearing all those like giant pads that the rest of the players aren't wearing because they're goalies and they're they're still not falling over it's it's insane like (laughs) I guess but, low center of gravity? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? But God, that's got to <laughs> be exhausting. This may be the only hockey game I've ever watched on television in its entirety. Really? <laughs> you caught a good one, for sure. Yeah, no kidding. I have watched many hockey games live and in person, but I hardly ever watch it on TV, and that may be the only one that I've ever watched in its entirety because of the hype leading up to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it did not disappoint, for sure. I mean, there's actually documentaries made about that specific game. There are mm-hmm. there's a Wikipedia entry just on that particular game. Like it's, <laughs> and yeah, it was in the playoffs, but it was not like during the Stanley Cup Finals. Like I mean, it was just a early round, I think playoff game. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the guys that were playing on the team at the time, you know, Fedorov and uh, Larianov, and you know. Konstantinov. I mean, these guys were just absolutely the best in the world. Um, so oh, absolutely. Five of these guys on the same team was just a stunning display of athleticism. 
And you look at stuff like that, um, because the Detroit Red Wings were one of the original eight teams and had done very, very well up through the late 50s, I would say, Mm -hmm. and then were terrible um, for decades until they brought on the Russian Five. And from there, they went to the Stanley Cup uh, that first year. They didn't win. I don't remember. If, I think the next they, year they went and won. Yep. Um, yep. So they won in 96. Oh, so, so 97 and 98 were the Stanley Cup championship games. In 95, they made an appearance but didn't win. Oh, um, okay. So there's a 96 gap here. That's right. Yeah. Um, but but Scotty Bowman was an absolute genius letting these guys play the system they knew. Like you said earlier, Adam, a lot of times you'd bring over like one or two players from Russia or any of the former Soviet bloc. And they would have to adapt to how they were playing in America. So it's like, mm-hmm. this is this is how we play in Dallas. Or this is how we play in Boston. You know, and they'd have to just get used to that. Um, right. Where he was kind of a genius. Like, you guys have a system that works really well. Let's just do mm-hmm. that. Well, and, and what's important to point out is that technically this is the second iteration of the Russian Five. The original Russian Five played for Russia, like in Russia, um, and included several of the players from the new Russian Five, including, uh, I believe, Konstantinov was one of the main guys for that. Kozlov might have been on there as well. But they brought these players over here, and the reason that it was so different is because a lot of teams focused on like stick handling and things like that to to win games. The Russian style, though, at the time was very different in that it was very fast-paced, so you had to have a lot of conditioning in uh, pretty constant line changes, but you had to have uh, conditioning to be able to go at this fast pace. Um, It was also about, you you know, um, just rushing the the score uh, or rushing the goal to no, no try pun and score. intended, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um, as well as <laughs> yeah, um, as as well <laughs> as um, they would they would try to like they would do a lot of passing and switching uh, on like positions and stuff like that to confuse the defensive players because what was common at the time, like if you know much about hockey, you know that. The offensive positions, you have the center, you have the left wing, and the right wing. In traditional American hockey, the reason they were called the left wing and the right wing is because they would stay on that side of the ice. So you knew that at any given moment, the center was going to be in the center of the ice, the left wing was going to be on the left side of the rink, uh, you know, relative to the, to the goal, team yeah. that was handling yeah. the puck. Yeah, uh, to the goalie. And then the right wing would always be on the right side of the ice. Well, the to confuse the opponents, the Russian five would actually switch. So you would have a right wing that, say, went behind the goal and came out on the left side while the, the left wing was cutting across the ice to get a pass and a one-timer shot into the goal or whatever it happened to be. And it worked gangbusters. It was such a dominant new style of play. Oh, absolutely. That that these other NHL teams really had to adapt to because they didn't know how to defend against that. Like, 
who had ever heard of a right wing crossing over or left wing crossing over to a different side of the ice. It's unheard of at that point in America. So, uh, I mean, these guys were unbelievably dominant. Like Brian mentioned, they made it to the um, playoffs pretty much every season. They made an appearance in the Stanley Cup Finals their second year together. Last year together, they won the national championship or won the Stanley Cup. Um, you know, it, it was an unbelievable team. Just insanely dominant on a level that hadn't been seen in hockey at that point. In America, at least. Agreed. Absolutely. I will say during this point, like, you know, it, it says something if there was a hockey game that I watched on television, because I'm generally not a sports guy. It's not that I don't like sports. I just, I've never been big into watching them on television. I like to feel the, you know, crowd yeah. and experience it up front. And just watching on TV doesn't really do it for me. But I don't know if it was the area that which we lived in or what, but during this time period, hockey was huge. I distinctly remember being at one of my sister's um, softball games and parents yelling at the umpire because they wanted to go home and watch the Red Wings and the game was taking too long. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, at the time, they were the best. They were absolutely, like, the best, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and Denver really tried, or I should say Colorado really tried. Colorado, similar to kind of how the Las Vegas Golden Knights are now, I mean, were amazing right as they started. Um, yeah. That was kind of what the Red Wings were up against, you know. And there was nobody else really, like, that even yeah. came close. The only, the only other team I could really think of that was big during that time, um, and again, this is, you know, I kind of like Paul, I'm not a big follower of hockey, but I do remember that at that time, like, the New Jersey Devils were really big. Um, yeah. There there was a couple of really big players on that team. Uh, I, Eliash and a couple other guys, I believe, were on that team during that time. So it was like those three were kind of the big teams at that time. Right, right, absolutely. Um, now... I don't know if you were planning on talking about this at all, Adam, but kind of how the Russian Five era ended. Yep. Were you going to so, chat about that? or Okay. Um, actually, if you want to go ahead, you, you probably know a little bit more than I do, but I, I do know what you're alluding to. Yeah, so basically they had w- won the 97 Stanley Cup it was the first time in decades that Detroit had won the Stanley Cup, so it was very exciting. Um, it was one of the first times in almost a century that the Stanley Cup had actually been taken over to Russia, um, <laughs> because you know every player gets an opportunity to bring like the Stanley Cup with them. Um, mm-hmm. You may have seen in the most recent Stanley Cup with the Washington Capitals. I mean, um, you know, every single player, Backstrom and Ovechkin, they all got their opportunity to kind of pose with it and take it around and do silly stuff with it. Where um, did Ovechkin bring it to? Didn't he show up to like the, a baseball game or something with it? I think so. Yeah, I think he went to a Nats game. And I don't remember if he filled it with beer or not. I feel like he may have. Um, <laughs> well, that's what it's for, isn't that's it? That's right. That's right. It is a cup. I don't know what I mean. else you do with it. It can only hold beer or octopus. That's right. And they don't do that here. That's a that's a very uh, Detroit-centric thing. So, oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, Konstantinov uh, was one of the best players 
even within the Russian five, he was known mm-hmm. for being a powerhouse and just drilling people. Like the the power he had when he would check somebody was unprecedented. I mean, he was like a freight train. shattering. Yeah. And he was involved in a very serious limo accident, career-ending limo accident. Uh, mm-hmm. There was one of the other players that was in as well, and I can't remember who it was, but they ended up coming back uh, later in that next season. And they all wore patches on their jerseys that said believe in both English and Russian on them. And they were kind of playing that whole season essentially for him. So when they ended up winning again the Stanley Cup in 98, um, that was really kind of on behalf of their, um, no pun intended, their fallen comrade. So, um, yeah. And, and like you said, that was kind of the end of the Russian five. Hence the reason why, um, like when I was looking at the stats and stuff like that, 97, 98 was kind of the last season, um, that they really existed together. So that like, when we talk about our, you know, um, comparisons and stuff in a little bit, that's kind of where we're going to end is that last season yeah. after that happened. Cause a lot of, the I had pl- forgotten all about the limo accident oh, until yeah. you brought that up. And yeah. I remember how, what a huge deal that was. I mean, it, you know, someone lost their life. It's always a huge deal, but I just mean like, as far as like community impact in this area, I remember that being like devastating to a lot of people. Right. Right. Now did I, I can't remember Konstantinov. He got, uh, did he die in the accident, or did no, he get like no. paralyzed? He, he had a career-ending injury. It was oh, uh, okay. It was beyond the point where he like just couldn't play anymore. He, I, may, I, I thought he passed paralyzed. away. No, I'm pretty sure he's still alive today. But I think he I, is. Yeah, I feel like I remember seeing like images of him in a wheelchair or something like that after the fact. Like uh, maybe when they were celebrating the win or something like that, I remember seeing him in a wheelchair. So I, I assumed that he had gotten paralyzed, but it might have just been that he was you know, incapable of walking at the time or whatever happened. Yeah, he was with uh, Vatisov. Um, mm-hmm. The driver yeah. whose license was suspended at the time for drunk driving <laughs> lost control of the limousine uh, in Birmingham, Michigan. Um, let's see. Uh... Yeah, serious head injuries and paralysis. So okay, so there you yeah. go. Yeah, that's that's an unfortunate way for you know a, such a dominant career to come to an end. Of course, you don't want to see that with anyone, but you know to have someone that you like you said, you know, someone that was such a powerhouse that gets, uh, you, you know, gets. Uh, well, their the, the, the time is cut short for sure. Um, you know, yeah. And, and to have it ended in such a unfortunate way, like not even just a, you know, like an actual injury on the ice or something like that, but to have something go so horribly wrong just in his own life. Right, right. But going back to the Red Wings, there was kind of a, a I guess, a third Russian five, because if the first was actually in Russia, the second was this 95 to 98 team. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a third reincarnation as well that ended up bringing home the 2002 Stanley Cup. Um, oh, that's right. A lot of the same players, but obviously the Konstantinov and I think there was maybe one or two others that had retired at that point or had been traded, but I know Fedorov was still going strong, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, Fedorov was still on the team. Um, you know, so that was definitely a huge part of their history. Mm-hmm. 
a huge part of kind of the city's history as well, too. I mean, Detroit, oh, yeah. other than being the Motor City, is also known for being Hockey Town, USA. So, I mean, mm-hmm. um, and like, that- again, somebody that didn't really grow up watching hockey, like hockey was never really big in any of my family. So I know I grew up watching it occasionally, but I never like religiously watched the Red Wings or any hockey but man, I remember like around this time when they really started going crazy and the hockey town title was added to Detroit and, um, you know, they changed the center ice so that they had the Red Wings logo with hockey town, uh, at center ice, which they actually just, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but they just changed that for the first time since then. The center ice at the Little Caesars Arena in Detroit no longer has hockey town on the Red Wings logo. Mm. Crazy. Does it have pizza pizza? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has uh, the Little Caesars mascot yelling pizza pizza. No, it's just the Red Wings logo again. Uh, just I still the- feel like it should have been the Pizza Pizza Coliseum. <laughs> I feel like Little Caesars Arena just doesn't have the ring of Pizza Pizza Coliseum. Well, it doesn't quite have the, uh, you know, the... Uh, I guess the historical context of Joe Lewis Arena, either. <laughs> yeah, true. It doesn't pack a punch like Joe Lewis. Let's just say oh, that. Let's just say that. I see what you did there. So <laughs> it might once it's a parking lot. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I feel like at this point we should uh, go ahead and then discuss which team was the better team between the Detroit Red Wings Russian Five versus the University of Michigan Fab Five. Uh, before we do that, though, I feel like we should kind of figure out, you know, what makes a great team? What what kinds of things should we look at to determine, make our determination on who is the better team? Hmm. So at, looking at, like, a great team, how would you define a great team? Well, from a professional sports perspective, I would say recognizable. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, you see them, you know who they are, Mm -hmm. and they are synonymous with with the sport. Okay. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a good thing as well. I think that uh, one other thing to consider as well is the cohesiveness between all the players. Um, So like Mm -hmm. the chemistry between them. Um, So having star athletes on a team doesn't necessarily create a great team. You can see that in, you know, places like Cleveland, for example, when LeBron James leaves, they're back to pretty mediocre. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You mean like the fact I spit on my carpet when you said Cleveland. (laughs) (laughs) You mean like the fact that Tyrone Lou already got fired and it's only like been two weeks into the regular season? (laughs) At time of recording, yes, that is true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, good. So uh, one of them is recognizability. Uh, The other one is cohesiveness of the team. Yeah, like Um, chemistry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, chemistry. Uh, Anything else that you guys feel uh, stat-wise? I compiled a bunch of stats, so um, if you, like, do we think anything like national championships or uh, win percentage or anything like that should be looked at as well? I think that there definitely needs to be part of that. I think that, you know having a team that's good needs to be able to produce. So 
I think championships, though, are secondary to overall record, in my opinion. Because some okay. of the best players ever, you know, for example, like Barry Sanders, Dan Marino, uh, these are players mm-hmm. that have never won a championship game ever. Um, okay. Jim Kelly, when we go back to Buffalo, <laughs> um, you know, these are all players that, you know, I would consider all time greats that don't necessarily have a ring or a, a Stanley yeah, Cup to prove it. So, so some more so, about like the wins, uh, yeah, like total yeah. record during their time together. Okay. I would agree with that. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think that like the fab five should be disqualified just because they never won the national championship or were mm-hmm. never the big 10 champions. Uh, for example, um, but <laughs> I like the the Michigan State fan here going. They never won a championship. They never won the Big Ten. They never. Did this. <laughs> I was including both. Both are important. <laughs> and you need to have a Campbell's soup commercial. Oh, <laughs> oh, soup. there you go. There you go. Okay. Um, well, let's let's go ahead and start off with the first one. So recognizability, uh, Russian five and the fab five what do you guys think do do you think there's one that's necessarily more recognizable than the other i think the russian five lasted longer mm-hmm. and um i think they had more they had a longer notoriety okay so i hate doing this this is like against my best interests but I'm going to actually go ahead and say that the Fab Five are actually probably more recognizable. And I was watching an interview uh, with Juwan Howard talking about, and this was at the time that he was playing with the Miami Heat. And that, while he was there, he won two NBA national championships with mm-hmm. the Miami Heat. People would see him go and take the court. They'd be like, oh, yeah, that that's LeBron from Miami, you know, Miami Heat. And, and that's Juwan Howard from the University of Michigan Fab Five. Like, that's mm-hmm. how they still remembered him. Even though he had, like, won these accolades and done all these other things, people still remembered him as that kid up in Ann Arbor that was doing crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what do you think, Adam? I, you know, I would say, I feel like it's kind of a toss-up because, you know, the Russian Five are legendary. The Fab Five are really legendary. But I think I have to go with Brian and say that in this instance, I feel like the Fab Five probably have the advantage as far as recognizability. They were, I mean, they were in like the national zeitgeist at the time for basketball. (laughs) It was like that. I mean, they were, they were a huge deal. And I mean, it really, it really says something that a documentary that was produced in what, like 2011, 2010, 2011, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, the ESPN documentary on the Fat Five is still the most viewed or most watched episode of that documentary series, which has produced unbelievable documentaries. And for that one to be the most, and it was like not even close. Oh, yeah, by far and away. Yeah. Yeah. I think that really speaks volumes to how recognizable and how uh really important that team was for the sport for for college basketball and for basketball in general sure i will change my answer because i am probably thinking of the context of a person that grew up in west michigan (laughs) 
That's fair. Yeah. And if you look at it on a national level, I would say basketball is by far the more popular sport. I think yeah. that that's, that's definitely a perspective to consider. I think the other thing about it, too, is just because of our given age, like Adam mentioned earlier, uh, Chris Weber was drafted to the NBA when we were seven, whereas the Russian five didn't even exist until we were like nine mm-hmm. or ten. So, I mean, that was at least at a time where I was more interested in sports because before then it was just like, I mean, I knew who like my dad and my uncles liked, but I didn't really know anything beyond that. Whereas right. when I started getting into like fourth grade, fifth grade, I started having my own opinions about players that were good and started being able to discern what I thought was good and bad play, mm-hmm. you know, and had you flipped things around, you know, I might've had a completely different opinion. Like if, if the fab five came after the Russian five, for example. And I think that's kind of something too, like for me, like, I, I, I am a Pistons fan, but a lot of people I know who grew up in Michigan are Chicago Bulls fans. And it's just because we were right on the edge of when the bad boys in Detroit were kind of fading out. And then Michael Jordan's star was rising right at that time. Um, well, and a lot of it uh, that has to do, too, with like, you know, like in my family's experience, uh, a lot of my fandom is Chicago sports. I'm a Cubs fan, diehard Cubs fan. Uh, Bulls fan, uh, Bears fan, and I've always grown up as fans of those teams. And the reason for that was because my family grew up in southwest Michigan in the time where you got only got over-the-air channels, either radio or TV. And right, so right. growing up in southwest Michigan, the signals that always came in clearer were the Chicago stations like WGN and stuff like that as opposed to the Detroit stations. They were, you know, like an hour to... I mean, really, straight across the lake, they're probably about 30 minutes from uh, Chicago, whereas Detroit was about three hours away from them. So it was much easier to pick up the Chicago station. So I think a lot of that has to do with it, too, is that people in certain parts of Michigan were actually closer to the Chicago sports market than they were to the Detroit sports market in a, in a physical, uh, you know, terminology or, or definition there. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see that as well, but I know a lot of people not even having that awareness, even living in the state of Michigan of the bad mm-hmm. boys, you know, for example, from the, yeah. from the Detroit Pistons, because they were too young at the time when they were really an impressive team to play against, but they were the perfect age um, for, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And then when Dennis Rodman moved from Detroit to Chicago, I mean, all all those things were happening at an age where they were able to better witness it, better understand it and better have like an appreciation and an opinion about it. Oh, for Um, sure. And and I think that even like folks from Metro Detroit were a lot of times Bulls fans just because they grew up in that era where some of the best basketball players, that's where they were playing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would agree with that. Okay, so um, I say, I, I think in our first category, I feel like the the advantage goes to Michigan. Would you I guys think agree? so. I think so. Yeah, a okay. clean sweep. Okay, all right. Um, so then our next category was like cohesiveness or um, camaraderie. Was that right? Yeah, yeah. A co- cohesion, chemistry, camaraderie. Cohesion. Um, okay. So, Paul... 
thoughts on this one? Cohesion camaraderie? I only know I, I can I can only speak to the Red Wings, which I have watched play. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to go with them on this one. Okay, Brian. For, for that, I, I would also have to agree. Um, I think that the um, the Russian five, the the comrades, won out in the camaraderie <laughs> uh, department. Um, and I think the main reason for that, as I think both teams played very well together. But I think when you got to the end of the 93 season and you already had Chris Webber looking to be drafted to the NBA and you had a couple other players that were drafted early as well that all kind of left that team hanging, um, mm-hmm. that to me is a little less cohesive where had Konstantinov not been involved in an accident, I think that the Russian five would have been together a lot longer. And the yeah. fact that he wasn't an accident, they ended up playing even harder for him, whereas mm-hmm. with... Michigan, they didn't do as well in the in the following years after Weber left. Right, um, they weren't right. bad by any means, but they didn't do they didn't accomplish the things they did when the five of them played together. Right, right. And you know he kind of let that go by the wayside. And then to your earlier point, to be involved with all that stuff with Ed Martin and the boosters and all of mm-hmm. the things that he was taking on the side and then he lied to a grand jury about it. And it's, it's a lot less of a team thing, in my opinion, a lot more about five really great individuals that just all happen to be on the same team. Yep. Yep. I would agree. Definitely. Um, yeah, I would probably have to go in this category to the Russian five again. Um, kind of my two main reasonings behind that was one, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the style of play they had, I don't think they could have achieved that if they didn't have that just ability to play well together. Like, they brought out the best in each other, and they all had their specialties that made them a force to be reckoned with on the team. Sure. That wouldn't have necessarily worked as well by themselves. They, Like you mentioned, Konstantinov was just a, a brute of a player in just this physical force. And of course, a player like that's going to be good on any team, but right. with the, and Fedorov was like, a, like an incredible scorer. Like that's what he was known yep. for, you know, like he yep. was, he was kind of the, you know, Ovechkin or Crosby of, of his era, you know, just being able to score on all sorts of crazy angles and triple covered yeah. crazy stuff. And I, I can't remember if it was Fetisov or Larionov, but one of them was like a great passer and could set up uh, mm-hmm. shots really well and stuff, which is important. Uh, so all of those things, I feel like, you know, on any team, obviously those skills are going to be necessary and are going to be beneficial. But when you had a team that was as cohesive as they were, I feel like that really defined that, like their cohesiveness defined why they were so dominant. Uh, and then really, like we've mentioned already, I feel like the other thing that kind of defines their cohesiveness is the fact that they lasted so long together. I mean, four seasons, and the only reason they broke up or, or the, you know, the Russian Five ended was because of a freak occurrence that ended the career of Konstantinov early. You know, it wasn't like... uh you know, a LeBron situation where he was like, you know, I'm going to go to another city and win a championship or something like that. Right, um, right. It was, 
you know, we're, we're staying together because we're this dominant force and we're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Whereas Michigan, Fab Five, again, a great team, and the things that they did were brilliant and unbelievable for their time. But as far as cohesiveness, I don't think you can really say that a team that was only together for really, for all intents and purposes, they were only together for a season and a half. Because remember, they didn't start the season playing that first season. So it wasn't until about halfway or really, actually, I really, you could argue that they're really only uh, together for like a little over a season. Because if they started in February together, that means they only played February and March together that first season uh, as starters. So yeah, you're looking at a team that really only played together for a little over a year. And then uh, Weber took off to go to the NBA. So I feel like cohesiveness there has to go to the Russian Five just because that style of play that they had really depended on that cohesiveness, and they were together and would have probably remained together for a much longer time than the uh, Fab Five did. And, and of course, part of that is, you know, obviously in the college, you're only together a maximum of four seasons anyway. But the right. fact that it was cut even shorter than that definitely kind of hurts them in that category. Well, wasn't it pretty recently, too, that there was a bunch of uh, trash talking between Weber and Rose, even? Um, I feel I like th- like within so. the last year, like Weber was kind of crapping on on Jolene Rose's game, you know, and so that's really interesting. Like that he would have that level of criticism. Where, for example, when when the Russian Five seemed to pull together more, where these guys kind of more had their own egos and their own stuff going on. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That that definitely was more of a team of five players that played together as opposed to five players that came together to, you know, have a cohesive unit together. Right, right, right. Okay, and then I believe we had one more category, which was overall record. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Campbell's Soup. You can't forget Campbell's Soup. Oh, Campbell's Soup. All right, so which <laughs> team had the Campbell's Soup ad? <laughs> Didn't Chris Weber do a Campbell's Soup ad? Maybe I forget. I think he did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did at one point. Yeah, he did. Um, so just to uh, run through it real quick, because I actually pulled the stats already on this. So as far as the, excuse me, the Fab Five, uh, their, do we want to go with their? We should probably just to be fair go with their unadjusted record, right? Right, right, because zero and four. Yeah, yeah that definitely hampers. So that ruins my joke. I was just going to say, well, obviously, you know, the Russian five gets it because I see no stats. <laughs> Michigan doesn't have any stats. What the heck? Okay, so uh, as far as the ninety one ninety two season, so that first season together, the overall record unadjusted was twenty five and nine. Again, you have to take that record with a little bit of a grain of salt as far as the the Fab Five are concerned because they really probably only played the last maybe 10 to 15 games together. So, like, the you know, they, they probably did not uh, result in all of those wins. They probably resulted in maybe about 
you know, 10 wins or so. But even if you adjust it for that, I would say it's still like a 700 win record, you know? Yeah, yeah, I would agree, definitely. And then for the 92-93 season, you had a 31-5 and record. So, I mean, you have a pretty dominant team there. And, and uh, looking at kind of their stats and stuff like that, both seasons they scored over 2,500 points on the season. The first season together, they averaged about 78 points a game. And then in the 92-93 season, they averaged just under 82 points a game, which is really impressive for a college basketball team. Wow. Yeah, so those two records, I would say, you know, about 700 for one and what, like 850 or 860 for the other? I mean, those I'd are, say so. those uh, are pretty good statistics. Yeah. yeah not Although 0-4 o- is zero, so... <laughs> that very nice math there, Brian. <laughs> I did that without a calculator. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they they ended up with a 74 percent win average in 91-92 and a 86 percent win average in the uh, 92 to 93 season. Um, and again, both of them they made it to the national championship both times, uh, both seasons, but lost in the final game to either uh, Duke or North Carolina. They also did have Jalen Rose and Chris Weber in consecutive seasons, won the NCAA All-Tournament Award, and uh, Chris Weber won the U.S. Basketball Writers Association uh, Freshman of the Year in 91. So they did have some accolades for sure that were added to them despite the you know the fact that they weren't able to win the championship and they certainly right. like and you have to put it in perspective too as you mentioned earlier they're not losing to you know like an eight seed or uh, something like that in the national championship duke and north carolina are two of the most storied basketball programs in college sports back in that time they were at kind of the height of their dominance so it's not like they're losing to teams that you know they didn't deserve to lose to these were the best teams in college basketball at the time right okay so uh there's the information for the fab five let's go ahead and jump back to the russian five so as far as the russian five as far as games won in the 94-95 season they had 33 wins 95-96, 95-96, they had 62 wins. Uh, and and it, is important wow. to, it is important to mention that their first season together was the last season where they played like approximately 40 games. The 95-96 season is when the schedule expanded to the current like 70 or 80 games or whatever it is. Uh, because the first season they had a 33-11 and record. The next season they had a 62-13 and record. The season after that, they had a uh, thirty-eight and twenty-six record, and then their last season um, as the Russian Five were forty-four and twenty-three, which averages out to a seventy percent uh, win average the first season, seventy-six the second season, forty-six the third season, and fifty-four their last season together. So overall, their win percentage was about sixty-one and a quarter percent. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I told you guys I did the the work on this. (laughs) Oh, that's really interesting. 
<laughs> so and and during those seasons when they had when they were together you ended up with two future hall of famers with Fetisov and Larionov believe it or not Konstantinov Kozlov and Fedorov are not in the hall of fame at this point jeez um, i know i know i was surprised by that but um they also just to give you an idea of like awards won during their four seasons together, they won the President's Trophy twice, which is the team with the best regular season record in 95 and 96. Uh, they won the Hart Trophy. Fedorov, uh, specifically, won the uh, Hart Trophy, which is for the regular season MVP in 94. Uh, they won the Campbell Trophy, which is the Western Conference Championship in mm-hmm. 95, 97, and 98. Uh, they won the Selkie Trophy. Again, Fedorov uh, won it twice in 94 and 96 as the best defensive forward in the NHL. Uh, Scotty Bowman in 96 won the Best Coach Award, which is called the Adams Award. And then the Lindsay Award, which is the most outstanding player as voted by the NHLPA, which is the Players Association, so it's the actual players voting. Uh, Fedorov won that in 94 and as we mentioned before, they lost in the playoff. They made it to the playoffs in 94, 95, or yeah, 94, 95, and then won the Stanley Cup in 96, or technically the 97 and 98 seasons when they right, ended. Right. So they had two national championships, about 10 awards total, and a win percentage of about 61 and a quarter percent. Oh, so, man. So a lot of stats there, but uh, between those. But did Mitch Album write a book about them? <laughs> Probably. Mitch Album is a huge sports fan, and specifically a Detroit sports fan. So I'd imagine there has to be a book out there about them. Well, I know Mitch Album wrote the Fab Five book. Oh, okay. Hmm, interesting. But I don't know if he's written a Russian Five book, but I don't know. I've, frankly, I've only read Tuesdays with Maury. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, if if uh, for our listeners, if you don't know who uh, Mitch Album is, he is a sports uh, broadcaster, but he also is a uh, novelist who wrote uh, Tuesdays with Maury and The Five People You Meet in Heaven and a bunch of other books. But he also is a uh, sports analyst and sports writer. That's kind of where he initially got his fame before right. he started writing Tuesdays with Maury. Um, but I cannot find if he wrote a book on the Russian Five or not. But anyway, regardless, <laughs> um, so between those two teams, who would you give the advantage to as far as, you know, records or accolades or whatever it happens to be that that's kind of that final category we're looking at? Oh boy, that's tough. Mm. <clears throat> I don't. I I gotta go. I I gotta go with the Russian Five. Mm-hmm. Okay. I it's tough because <laughs> I think that the Fab Five um, had the better record, but boy, I don't know. I think I'm actually gonna have to go with the Fab Five. Okay. You're both dead to me. (laughs) (laughs) How am I dead to you? I haven't even answered yet. (laughs) But you're going to. (laughs) You don't know me. 
<laughs> I do what I want. <laughs> I do what I want. Now, I uh, am actually going to have to agree with Paul. I feel like I have to give it to the Russian Five because the the big difference for me is that college basketball has a pretty limited schedule. So, yeah, they they have a higher win percentage, but the you know Russian Five also had to play a significant amount of more games than, you know, the the, uh, Michigan played, you know, give or take 36 games their second season together, whereas the Russian Five every season had to play over 40 games or 50 games or 60 games or whatever it happens to be. So even though you have a lower win percentage, I feel like that high win percentage, especially the 70 and 76%, win percentage in seasons where you're playing 80 games is a more significant number than 70% in a 30 game season. That makes sense. That makes sense. So so to me, I'm going to have to give it to the Russian five. So in our final tally, where are we at? Okay. Well, it was a clean sweep for the fab five in the first round. Uh, it was a clean sweep, I believe, for the Russian five in the second round. So it so. comes, it comes down to the last round, which we had a two to one for the Russian five, uh, with the one being for the Fab Five. So I think, as uh, the dating ourselves official response <laughs> to the question of who was the better team between the Russian five and the Fab Five, I think our response is that the better team was the Russian Five. Wow. So, congr- so congratulations. That's one more accolade or uh, trophy that they can add to their... To is, that, their- <laughs> is that Adam from Dating Ourselves Podcast says you're better than a yes. team in a different sport from a different time. The first official members of the Dating Ourselves Hall of Fame. Yeah. That's right. C- congratulations, Russian <laughs> Five. We'll we'll be sending you the check in the mail soon. (laughs) (laughs) So there you have it, folks. The Fab Five versus the Russian Five. Now moving on to Nostalgia Compact. Nostalgia Compact! So I have devised a trivia question for my co-host to answer. Whoever is closest will get to lead their chat next week. Remember, as a reminder, Paul has the topic of Dumbo and Brian has water parts. Are you guys ready for nostalgia combat? Yes. I have watched Dumbo. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so uh, as this recording is occurring in early November... We have just passed the holiday of Halloween. So I thought it was fitting that we would go with a Halloween-themed trivia question today. So the question I've devised is there are two... Wait, hold on. Uh, One, two, three, (laughs) four, five, six, seven, eight. Yes, keep counting out loud. (laughs) Uh, we'll, we'll We'll say eight or nine movies in which uh, Jason from the Friday the 13th movie, appears. So the question that I have for you guys this week is, in all of the movies combined, 
how many total kills is Jason credited for? Ooh. Hmm. I'm going to say 71. Okay. Uh, it's tricky because the first one, there's that twist ending, hmm. which may or may not negate some. Um, and do we count well, Jason Goes to Hell where Jason was different people? Uh, the official tally I am looking at does have uh, Jason Goes to Hell as one of the movies that counts. It also does say that in Friday the 13th, none are credited to Jason since Mrs. Voorhees is the killer. You weren't supposed to tell the twist, although the movie's like 30 years old. If people haven't seen it at this yeah. point, <laughs> spoilers Spoiler on you. Um, I'm going to go with um, 60 even. Okay, so Brian, 60. Paul was 74? Two. 72. Unless four is closer, then feel free to amend it. <laughs> well, either way, you are closer, Paul, because the total kill count for Jason Voorhees between Friday the 13th Part 2 all the way through Jason X is a total of 154 kills. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yep. He I has... wanted to go that high, but it just didn't seem logical. <laughs> so he has... Nine kills in uh, part two, 12 in, thir- uh, 12 in three, 13 kills in four, uh, none in five, 18 in six, 16 in seven, 19 in eight, 21 in Jason Goes to Hell, and then 28 in Jason X, which Holy gives you a crap. total of 154. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it does also say that it is... 28 confirmed kills in Jason X, so he may have more that we just didn't see on screen. They may have been implied, but not actually shown. Yeah, because the beginning of the movie, when they're trying to capture him before it goes to the future, he's laying waste to FBI agents left and right. (laughs) (laughs) That will do it. (laughs) That'll do it, for sure. Well, there you have it. I am the winner. In brackets. <laughs> I will be guiding us through the land of Dumbo. More pink elephants, less crows, next time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The loser, Brian, still has water parks. Now we need to head to the hopper of imagination to get Adam a new topic. Yay! So we want get to down, re- get in the hopper. The hopper. <laughs> So we want to remind all of our listeners that if there's a topic you'd like to hear us discuss, you can submit those to our website at www.datingourselvespodcast.com. topics from the hopper of imagination i'm going to tell you the categories of each of those three topics you're going to tell me which one you like and then i'm going to give you the topic associated with that category does that sound good what if i just tell you the topic i want to discuss (laughs) (laughs) i'd like to hear the topic (laughs) (laughs) all right i guess i'll go along with your communist ideas here that's right that's right so the categories are celebrity 
food and beverage or board game? Hmm. I, you know, I don't remember the last time we really had a celebrity, per se, on our topic uh, or on our show. So I think I'm going to have to go with celebrity. You have selected um, famous 90s actress Melissa Joan Hart. Ah, Ooh, nice. Yeah. Just in time for her new, ne- or well, not her new Netflix series, but one of her characters to be rebooted on Netflix. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, at the time of air, it will have been a new series for a while. That's at right. At the time Indeed. of recording, it's already on Netflix. Yes, yes. <laughs> one thing I need to revisit. I just thought about my earlier statement about pink elephants and crows, and it might not have come out the way I intended it. <laughs> 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 I was merely stating that I don't like the crows in Dumbo because they're racist. Right. That's fair. For clarification. We'll, we'll talk more about that in two weeks. But um, big sh- That's why Dumbo's going to be fun. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's definitely uh, a... a Peace caught in time, for sure. Um, So be sure to check in in two weeks, guys, when Paul's going to discuss Dumbo the Elephant with us. Um, And definitely make sure to (laughs) check out future episodes where I'll be chatting about the fun trips to water parks. And Adam will be discussing the illustrious career of Clarissa and Sabrina, Melissa Joan Hart. Uh, Thanks again for joining us on Dating Ourselves. (laughs) And if you like what you heard, there's more to come. You can check us out at www.datingourselvespodcast.com to learn more about us and the show. And you can check out us our Contact Us tab if you'd like to submit your own nostalgic topics. And you can also send us submissions at datingourselvespodcast at aol.com. We've got We've mail. Got mail. In addition to iTunes, you can also find us on TuneIn Radio, Google Music, and wherever podcasts are downloaded. We post additional content on Facebook at facebook.com slash datingourselvespodcast. If you're on Instagram, you can find us at datingourselvespodcast. And you can find us on Twitter at datedpodcast. And remember, if you're too old for Snapchat, too young for life alert, you've just been dating. Later, guys. See ya. Bye.